0: Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. Today's episode features interviews with two corporate leaders from Colorado, Carla Nugent, Founder and Chief Business Development Officer for Wayfield Group, an electrical contractor, and Stuart Smith, the CEO and owner of Bueller Companies, a moving logistics and storage company. Both Carla and Stuart were panelists during the Corporate Development Summit hosted by ACG Denver during its Rocky Mountain Corporate Growth Conference in April, and I had a chance to speak with each of them on the sidelines of that event. ACG Denver is among the ACG chapters that have developed programming for corporate development professionals, and on November 4th and 5th, ACG Global will build on those initiatives by hosting its inaugural Strategic Acquirer Summit in Dallas. To learn more about that event and registration, you can go to acg.org or check the notes of this podcast, where we'll include a link where you can find more details. With that, here are my interviews with Carla and Stuart. Carla is up first. Carla, thanks for joining me. Can you describe the Wayfield Group and your role there?
1: Sure. So, Wayfield Group, we are a commercial an industrial electrical contractor. And one of the founding partners, there was four of us that started the company. And we work in Colorado, Wyoming, and Texas, employ about 600 people.
0: And can you talk about how the company has grown since it was founded and whether that growth came organically? Was it through acquisition? What does that look like?
1: We are on our 18th year in business. Every year we've, almost every year we've grown except for one. And every year we've reinvested back into our company, into people and technology. And as we have grown, we have looked at different vertical markets, different geographical locations and technology to really diversify our company and um, just have us have strategic and stable growth. So with that, we have done um, acquisitions into Texas, Austin, Texas, also water, wastewater, uh, electrical, contractor, and then a modeling company, virtual design. Those are the three different entities that we've acquired, developed.
0: And can you talk more about the innovation and technology piece based on your website? It seems like those are really core focus areas for you guys. Um, Talk about what that looks like and then how, how does that differentiate Wayfield versus a competitor?
1: So we really look at technology as an efficiency piece. So we want to start out very first kind of client interaction and when we are brought on the design team and using that life count, Acubit, our estimating software. So you can give me a concept of a building on paper, on a napkin, square footage, and we can start to build out visually what that would look like. That then transports over to our virtual design company, Um, we start building out and modeling, 3D modeling, the um, products that we're going to install, figuring out points of collision, how we'll coordinate with the other subcontractors and figure out, um, again, clash detection before we're actually on-site building the job. That transports to our technology that we have for prefabrication, where we're making products off-site, getting ready um, for the project to actually go in the field. We're making prefabricating walls, um, components, bits and pieces that will go on the job site. And then we finish off by placing all of those with a GPS locator called the Trimble Station. So it's a robot that basically gives exact GPS locations tied back to our original design. So we really feel like this whole um, life cycle of technology offers the client a really precise product that they can visualize, we can collaborate, we can coordinate with other trades and deliver a really good project.
0: And given the technology that's available today, you know, has there been disruption in this industry and, and how have you had to adapt?
1: Absolutely. I think we've really led the way on a lot of that technology, not doing estimating off of paper, but really doing that analysis and looking at what does that look like when we do it all electronically? I don't have much paper at work um, and then moving that in through all of the phases of construction. So many times we're that subcontractor that's pushing the team to kind of go onto a new platform to try this new technology. Anything we can collaborate, be more efficient, getting rid of the faxes and getting rid of the paper and having that immediate information, I think has really been um, a a kind of key component of our team that now clients depend on that we're gonna push that that innovation and technology collaboration.
0: And I understand that you've personally been active in advocating for a better construction workforce. Can you talk about that and, and what some of the workforce issues the industry is facing today?
1: Yeah, construction, as with many verticals, um, we have a lot of people leaving the trade or have left over the different downturns um, and not enough entering the trade. So we really had to become workforce advocates and start educating at the school level of all the opportunities, paid training that we have, the different career paths because construction's gotten quite sophisticated and we have all this different technology and opportunities. Um, So what I think somebody would picture as an electrician or a pipe fitter, um, all the different trades are, are quite different. So I feel like there's a lot more to offer and in, in construction and it's nice to see it being pulled back into the schools where students can touch and feel it and uh, I just love it that if higher ed or a specific type of career is is not in place or the funds aren't in place for a student to go to school they can come into construction and have one of the firms pay for their four-year schooling and not have debt from college and people to hit the ground running and make great great money with great benefits and 401k so we love to share that. That message.
0: It seems like that's being communicated nationally about manufacturing, but I hear that less so about construction. Would, would you agree with that?
1: It's interesting. Um, manufacturing, healthcare, hospitality, construction there's about 10 different vertical markets that make up a huge bulk of our workforce in many states that um, require what we called a middle skill job, as defined by the National Coalition of Workforce Development. And a middle skill job is one that requires a high school diploma or equivalency, but less than a two year college degree. And it makes up almost 50% of our workforce would be qualified as middle skill jobs. And so we really look at those candidates can we pull folks from that and add on to their education so they can continue? you know, education within our our business, um, within other trades. And so there's a lot of talk within the states about this middle skill movement.
0: And at Wayfield Group specifically, how are you working to ensure that you have the right talent? And, you know, how has the skill set that you look for changed since your founding?
1: I think there's always the technical, electrical training and even though that delivers and there's new technologies around it electricity is electricity you're not changing that basic theory but we've really looked at values our people advanced processes community and trusted relationships and how folks align with those values and we're creating not just a job we're really looking at a career we're looking at a home a community and our goal is that folks come into wayfield group they're better for working at our company but our goal is that they're also better in the communities that they live in. So we're trying to not just build a building, but really help give back to the community and build a great workforce.
0: The company has been named a, a top place to work year after year. What are some of the things that Wayfield Group does um, with respect to culture that has made it that type of workplace that's that's winning awards?
1: Culture's been a big focus for us, a big investment for us uh, from day one, and I think defining who you are and the values and the people that you want to surround yourself is number one, but then setting up a pathway to achieve that. So we have a council that we started... Over 10 years ago, and they meet monthly. All different business units are represented in that council talking about our employees. What do they need? What do they want? How do we stay connected as we grow? How do we communicate? How do we keep people looped in, have career paths, advocate for more folks to come into into construction? How do we make our community better? So I think that's been a neat, um, unique pulse point for us. So they, It gives us an avenue to listen and have our employees heard, but also feel that they're valued.
0: And the panel that you spoke on earlier today focused on thriving through a recession, which um, your company, of course, has been through. How are you thinking about that? In you know today, when there seems to be signs that this cycle may be toward the end.
1: Once you've lived through a recession, uh, you always have that in the back of your mind. Um, so much so, sometimes you know our board has spoken into our conversations that like that, that was a tough recession in two thousand eight. The likelihood of that coming anytime soon. You know, is pretty slim. But will we go up and down in construction? We always have, so we just stay really in tune with the different economic indicators. Since we're typically the boost, the caboose on that train, communicate with our employees. Um, we have a strategy of how we expand and how we contract and how we move in different markets. Um, always kind of staying balanced between private and public work and staying diversified and communicating that with our employees so they know we have a strategy. We're not just pricing things to price them. We're very intentional and focused about what we go after.
0: And then finally, you know, what's what's next for Wayfield Group? What's on the horizon? Are you looking to, you know, expand geographically, add additional service lines? What can you share there?
1: In this front range market here in Colorado, Wyoming, um, we do feel that we're starting to reach kind of a Capacity where it would be really hard to sustain when the economy tightens up. So we have been looking at other regions, which was a catalyst for us to go into Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. So we're doing some analysis on a few other states that could be a good complement and offset what's going on here in the Denver front range market, as well as other complementary businesses on the technology side that we can integrate with prefabrication um, Just new technologies also coming out that are starting to automate and um, convert uh, products that were typically wired electrically are now being powered low voltage, um, Mm -hmm. combining kind of AV, lighting, um, controls, some of those together. So just looking at opportunities in those different venues.
0: Well, Carla, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much. Next is my conversation with Stuart Smith, CEO and owner of Bueller Companies. Stuart, thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: I read that you started your career in the apparel industry and then made a career change when you bought Bueller moving in storage in 1994. Can you talk about that decision and what inspired you to set out on this path?
2: Well, it's probably not as glamorous as it sounds, but uh, I was a manufacturer's rep in the ladies apparel industry and um, was with one company for about 10 years. And then I wanted to, I got passed over for a promotion. I got asked by another company to come in and be their sales manager. and So I took that opportunity and we grew the company really fast. But um, the owner of that uh, apparel company enjoyed the, the benefits a little too much and, and it took the company down. And so um, I was without a job, and I had to decide what to do. So I, my brother-in-law had a small moving company up here. So I came up here and stayed with him and my sister and looked at it and said, gosh, yeah, at least we'll play golf and have some fun. So I uh, ended up playing, playing a little bit of golf, but looked at his company and decided that, uh, yeah, this is cool. I've always liked forklifts, and I like trucks. So back then, uh, faxing was a big deal. And I said, well, they'll never be able to fax a couch. So I thought, well, there's an opportunity. So I took it. He had a little company that was doing about 700,000 a year. And in the first year we grew to a million five. And uh, so we doubled the business and then had a poker game. Someone said, hey, Bueller Mayflowers for sale. And I had a partner at the time and said that to my partner. And he goes, well, gosh, go look at it. So because I was the one that was always bouncing off the walls, trying to grow and went and looked at Bueller and bought that. So I ended up buying my partner out. Then I bought her office in Fort Worth. And then I, we bought um, the United Agency in Fort Worth, the United Agency up here. So we have Mayflower and United. Then we bought the Colorado Springs location. Then we bought student movers. Then we bought Albuquerque. We own all the real estate. So it's that's really been a great thing for us because we can c- control our costs.
0: And you mentioned during the panel session that you just participated in that after the last recession, you really made an effort to diversify your business. Can you talk about that and what that looked like?
2: we decided that we had to be different than just every other company out there. We wanted to be in different niche markets where it wasn't so price competitive, where um, quality mattered and where the amount of work you did was not just based on the lowest price and just scamming everything down to the bottom dollar. Uh, We looked for niche markets. For example, we do a lot of O&I, office and industrial moving. Uh, We'll do battery work. Uh, we do all the work for the Girl Scout Cookies and uh, on the state of Colorado. And um, so batteries, cell site batteries, we install cell site batteries from El Paso all the way up to North Dakota. And uh, we, so we go all over the place putting in cell site batteries and they have to be replaced every three to five years. So, I mean, it's a constant movement of batteries. And so it's good business for us. We also do uh, the model homes for a big home builder here in town. And we set up in all their, all around the country all the showroom furniture for, for their new homes and their home sites. So we go up and we hang pictures and put up shower rods and put up drapes and hang... Whatever they need and put make beds, and so it's crazy. I mean, we do the soup, some soup to nuts there for that. We do a lot of dental work, so uh, one of our accounts is a uh, we, so we do deliver take down uh, dental work for, for Henry Shine, and so we'll take chairs and x ray tables and x ray machines for dentist offices and for medical facilities and we just got through doing a big hospital and so we do a lot of hotel renovation and um, hospital work where we'll set up a hospital with all the the things and we kind of created a niche there because we kit every room and Something that no one else is doing. We just try to dif- differentiate ourselves in, in the niche markets.
0: And in terms of entering those niche markets, was that, um, did you do a lot of that through acquisition or was it more taking the businesses you already had and, and adding additional services there?
2: Um, it's a little combination of both, but uh, it's, a lot of it was through organic growth and just looking at different opportunities that came our way and going out and looking for things that were unusual and different so that we weren't just caught in the same old, you know, you're a mover and, you know, you move household goods and, that's it. So, I mean, that's key part of our business, but that is a cyclical business during the year. So it picks up big time in May and all the way through October. But the, the other five, six months of the year, you're kind of, you know, it's just kind of stagnant.
0: As you've grown both organically and through acquisition, has outside capital been a part of that at all?
2: Oh yes, I mean, yeah, we'll borrow money from the banks, and we've got a bank that's been very supportive of us. We've been able to buy all the real estate and finance all the real estate through the banks, and then um, the different locations that we've done, um, they've helped us with some acquisition costs there.
0: You know, for a business owner who has maybe seen what you've done and what you've built and wants to follow a similar path, do you have any advice for that person? Any mistakes you've made along the way, or um, you know, something you wish you had done differently?
2: Well, I wake up scared every day. And every time I feel like uh, we've just gotten to the top of the mountain, A puff of wind will come and knock us down. You know where we have to climb back up. So humility is very important, and I, we preach that within our company to be humble. And because every time you get cocky, someone's that they're bigger and better and faster. So we work on uh, humility, and we work on just building great relationships with our with our employees and through our uh, when our customers. And um, so I think it's very important to live. Below your means and, um, not overspend and always be careful. I live scared. So I try not to overspend what we do. I mean, you have to enjoy the fruits of your labor. I feel like that's very important. You have to make sure you share with your employees and just make sure that everyone knows that you gotta, you can't be going around flashing everything. Also to reinvest, we reinvest everything back in our company into new equipment and new technology and everything like that. We're always trying to improve ourselves.
0: Are there any disruptors in the market that you work in that have come up that you've had to kind of adapt in order to remain competitive?
2: Absolutely. Storage and moving industry, there's um, like pods has come in and they've taken um, a big chunk of our storage business. And uh, so we kind of got into a a market to compete with them. Um, And then little old small moving companies have come in and uh, because people think, gosh, you're just the big van line. We don't need a big truck. We just need a small truck for, you know, for moving people for a couple a couple hours. Well, we do that kind of thing. But perception is, is that, uh, you know, you have the big trucks and you don't do smaller moves. So that's why we bought student movers so we could fight that because people's perception is student movers is just a little small lo- local company.
0: So they might not think to call you because they think of you as a bigger. Interesting. Um, Another thing that you mentioned on the panel earlier was how everyone at your company is asked to read a certain book. Can you talk about that and and why that's been important to your culture?
2: Yeah. So we all read a book called The Energy Bus written by John Gordon. So what's important about that is it gets everybody buying into being positive, having a great attitude. And if you're a vampire that. You should not be at our company because we want people that are really positive. After we read the book and it made an impact on everybody from top to bottom, we decided I had people come up to me and they said, Stuart, you made us read this book and we're going to hold you accountable. I mean, you have one of the biggest energy vampires right here in your accounting department. This lady was wicked smart. She knew everything from soup to nuts. And they said, but she's just negative. She just hurts. She yells at people. She doesn't treat them right. Mm-hmm. She's nice to you, but she's not nice to everybody else. So um, we let her go. And the change in attitude was dramatic from that day forward. And my CFO said, Stuart, you can't let her go. She's been here 15 years. And I was like, she's a vampire. It was a tough decision, but we did it. Changed the whole culture then. I mean, it made everybody appreciate what we have.
0: And another thing that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting was the impact of drug legalization on Your business and and talent. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: We're controlled by DOT, Department Mm -hmm. of Transportation. You cannot have marijuana in your system for 30 days after you have a drug test. I mean, so, I mean, if someone's going out and smoking a joint, do they have a drug test because you have to do randoms? I mean, it affects your ability to hire and maintain good people. So we do uh, random drug testing and we, I mean, we watch it very carefully. We've had to take the stance so that for people that aren't driving trucks, that it we're not going to drug test you. We don't advocate drug use, but it's gotten so mainstream and so accepted by everybody today that you, in some ways, you kind of have to cave into what the what what it is. It's unfortunate, but I'm more and more prevalent in today's society. Mm-hmm. And I'd say within ten years it'll be nationally legalized.
0: Yeah, or maybe even sooner at this pace. Yeah, like
2: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, one last question for you. Um, you know, what's on the horizon for Bueller? What are you know their new markets that you're looking to enter? Are there services that you plan to add? What should we be looking out for?
2: So we're looking. We're always looking at new opportunities, and uh, so we've got this opportunity storing chemicals for um, a big technology company, and they need this stuff that's temperature controlled, can be racked. And so that we would be delivering it out, picking it up and delivering it and taking it up to the facility up in Fort Collins.
0: Okay. Hopefully in a different warehouse than the Girl Scout cookies. Yes. Stuart, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.